Law Focus Podcast, bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Good evening to all of your listeners, and welcome to Law Focus on BioFM 88.1. Thank you for tuning in to our show. My name is Tab Mahapi, and I'm your host for tonight. Now, as the country slowly embraces uh, level one restrictions from the coronavirus, you should really keep in mind that the pandemic is still very much among us. It hasn't disappeared. It hasn't moved to level one. Uh, and we've seen many people on social media sort of living their quote-unquote best lives as if we're free from the virus. But let's remember that the virus hasn't gone away. And let's keep wearing our masks and sanitizing our hands, protect ourselves from being infected with COVID-19 as well as the people around us. Now, we appreciate that you're always entrusting us with your Tuesday nights. And you trust that we will give you content that's relevant and valuable to your lives. Just as a reminder, Law Focus is all about dealing with issues that relate to legal matters. And tonight's show, we tackle, once again, the very difficult topic of gender-based violence. It's from a slightly different perspective today because we're going to be talking to legal aid. But this scourge of gender-based violence and how we can fight it as a country as it's constantly hanging over us is the topic of today. Now, we're always here to inform you about your legal rights as well as explore the various topics that are related to the law. And tonight, what we're really aiming to do is to give you much-needed information from the Legal Aid South Africa. They want to inform us about the different plans that they have for providing services to people who have been victims of gender-based violence. And that's really important because we take it for granted sometimes that people know what to do and where to go once they are the victims of gender-based violence. And they don't always know where to go. They don't always know what to do or what resources are available to them. That's why we've taken the opportunity to reach out to Legal Aid South Africa and let them explain to us what people can do once they are the victims of gender-based violence and where they can go. Uh, But remember that we love engaging with you and you can engage with us on our social media platforms. Now, the various places where we're available are Twitter at VowFM using the hashtag LawFocus. On Facebook, we are VowFM. And for podcasts, you can visit vits.journalism.co.za forward slash law or the Vits Radio Canopy page on Iona. We're also available on Spotify now. Now, let's get started with the first feature of our show, uh, very interesting and often quite lively, Legal Hotspots. Take a look at the hottest legal stories of the week. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, of the, stories of the week, it's Legal Hotspots. The Western Cape High Court has dismissed the public protector's uh, application. The Western Cape High Court has dismissed the first part of the public protector, Abusim Kwebane's bid against the parliament's processes to implement rules that could see her impeach. It was dismissed with costs last week. Now, that isn't personal costs that people love to go on about when talking about the public protector, just costs. That's normal in litigation. According to the citizen, her application to stop parliament from investigating her fitness to hold office was dismissed and the court ordered Mukabana to pay costs to the first and tenth respondents. Justice Vincent Saldana, on behalf of the full bench, ruled that Mukabana had failed to make a case for why the National Assembly should be interdicted from implementing the 17-step process that Parliament had developed to impeach Chapter 9 institution heads. If you remember last year, or I think it was the year before, it became apparent that we didn't have any processes in place to impeach Chapter 9 institutions. So this legislation is actually quite new. 
And uh, this is probably the first time that it's being tested in court. So it's quite an important uh, process. What the justices ruled is that Kwebanez claims that the rules are being used to target her specifically were not reasonable. Saldana ordered Mkwebanez to pay costs to the fifth and first and, f- and tenth respondent, uh, who are the National Assembly Speaker Tandi Mudise and the DA, respectively. Mkwebanez's application is part of a two-part application against the bid to have removed. And the court found that she could not successfully bring her arguments in the first part until she had successfully challenged the constitutionality of the rules that govern the proposed process. So obviously that is going to be an ongoing process. Only one portion of it has been dismissed. And it's with certain provisors as well. We'll watch that closely, I think, because it could have dire consequences for the people involved. Or not dire, serious consequences. Uh, now, the former president, Jacob Zuma, is subpoenaed to appear at the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture. The chairperson of the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture, the Deputy Chief Justice of the Republic, Justice Raymond Zondo, has ruled that the commission is set to sign and issue a subpoena against former president Jacob Zuma. He is to appear before the commission on, at 10 a.m. on 16 November. Now, the citizen reports that failure, uh, that failure for Zuma to comply uh, with uh, Zondo's directive without sufficient cause, is a criminal offence. Last month, Zonda didn't mince his words uh, when he said he wouldn't negotiate with Zuma's legal team on the date that the former president should testify at the commission. Now, Zuma has failed to appear before the commission before. According to letters from his lawyers, he was preparing for his arms deal court matter. Now, that matter prompted Zonda to determine that Zuma would have to appear before the commission from 16 to 20 November. No less than 34 witnesses have implicated Zuma in wrongdoing, and so he's required to go and deal with those allegations. The Deputy Chief Justice noted that the former president's lawyers have already submitted an affidavit to oppose the application. Zonda recommended that Zuma could testify via video link or audio link, which has been approved as a suitable means to allow him to give evidence. The ongoing saga of Justice Zuma and the courts and the commissions and something it's been it's been how many years almost 20 years now this let's see how this one goes anything is possible in this in this thing moving on though South African fugitive of Gerard Janssen van Vieren is back from Brazil to face murder charges almost 11 years later the citizen has reported after evading trial for the alleged murder of his girlfriend nine years ago the wheels of justice are finally caught up with a South African man who is based in Brazil. The now 39-year-old Gerard Janssen van Vieren was due to face trial in 2013 after he allegedly stabbed his ex-girlfriend, Andrea Fenter, who at the time was 25 years old. He stabbed her to death in December 2011. The incident happened just outside the Fenter's residential complex in Joburg. Now, Janssen van Vieren attempted to commit suicide at the scene of the crime, but he was arrested and charged with murder, and then he appeared in the Randburg Magistrates Court. He was granted bail by the High Court, despite police twice opposing his release. Four days before his trial was due to start in May 2013, he fled the country using false documents. A warrant was arrest was issued by Interpol in Pretoria, followed by a process to track him down. He was again arrested in 2015 after serving uh, or rather, he was apprehended by authorities in Brazil in 2013 for the charge of false documentation, but he was then released in 2015 after serving a short uh, sentence for that crime. 
undeterred uh, for undeterred for the years, uh, Interpol and Pretoria remained in contact with Brazilian authorities in an effort to locate Janssen van Vieren. Eventually, he was arrested in June of this year uh, through their two teams' investigative uh, collaborative efforts. And they were able to identify his address in Brazil. And one wonders why he wasn't simply retained after he, he served his first sentence. But, you know, sometimes these things happen. Uh, Van Fieren has been kept in police custody in Rio de Janeiro since his arrest, and he will arrive back in the Republic last week to face crimes he really committed a little less than a decade ago in South Africa. Hopefully justice will be served. Ten years is a very long time to wait to hear on the fate of a loved one. I mean, the family of, of his girlfriend must be reeling, but luckily he's back in the country. Hopefully no bail this time, my word. Um, the cops back in the dog as Maricana murder trial resumes. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, the of, the stories of the week is Legal Hotspots. Law Focus, handing you your rights. Welcome back to Law Focus on FM 88.1. And if you just joined us tonight, we're once again tackling the pandemic that is affecting the women and children across our country. It's a serious one and it comes up so often not because we don't have other things to talk about, but because it's so important. I know last month we really went through the issues of gender-based violence and we were in conversation with one of the survivors of gender-based violence and she was also the founder of a very wonderful organization uh, that fights femicide and domestic violence. And we spoke to a legal practitioner who also discussed with us about the various channels that uh, GBV victims can acquire legal assistance through. Now, tonight we're going to talk with um, Stephen from the Legal Aid Board. And the reason we're talking to someone from the Legal Aid is because they've embarked on their national strategic plan on gender-based violence. Now, for those of you perhaps who don't know what Legal Aid is about, Legal Aid is a quote-unquote the biggest law firm in the country, and that's because it's mandated by the South African Constitution to help poor people access justice. They're funded mainly by the taxpayer, and their job is to ensure that justice is accessible to as many people as possible. And the type of cases that they help with range very much from criminal cases to civil matters as well. And they also offer legal services to anybody who lives in South Africa, and that can include at times foreign nationals. So it really is a big, big part of our justice system. And uh, so when they make a move, I think, you know, it's very important for all of us to listen. Now, Legal Aid has joined the rest of the country in fighting the scourge of gender-based violence. And they're implementing a plan where they aim to offer safety, justice and protection to gender-based violence victims. Now, their primary role is to make legal services available with regards to divorce, uh, domestic violence interdicts maintenance, both for children, pendente lite maintenance, care and contact of children, and other legal services which all fall within their mandate. And also makes justice available to women who are perhaps not equipped to be able to protect themselves. Now, tonight we're speaking with Stephen Mufokeng. He's from Legal Aid, and he's going to be telling us about more of their campaign to uh, fight gender-based violence. 
Uh, hello, 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 sir, and welcome to Law Focus. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Tsebo. Thank you to invite you and to be your guest. And I also like to uh, treat your viewers and yourself. Uh, let me just correct one thing about um, it's 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 a legal aid South Africa. We we were used to call legal aid board long time ago. Uh-huh. Yeah, so uh, we have changed our strategy and changed the legal aid. The one we are describing now, with our name, it has been called legal aid South Africa. We also have a, a legislation which has been enacted 2014. So we have been called legal aid South Africa now. Right. Okay. Legal Aid South Africa. Now, before we go anywhere, let's break down the term GBV. How would we define it more precisely? What is GBV precisely? GBV is an acronym. It's a, it's a gender-based violence. To describe it, it's a gender-based violence. But in South Africa, particularly, even in, the, in, in terms of the UN, it's where you find that there's a violence against women and children. Most of the time, you find that they are our the male counterparts in the country. In that violence, it also includes the femicide, where you find that our children and our women in the country, they are being murdered, they're being raped, all this sort of violence which has been done against them. So as a result of that, this, this term, GVB, then started to get that meaning. Mm. But in South Africa, it's a serious concern. As you, you've done your intro, this is a very serious pandemic which is facing our country. So it's a national problem. Mm. And from the work that you do, how would you describe the seriousness of the matter? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Or are we just hearing about it more? It's getting bad. It's getting worse. It's getting worse in the country. Because I can attest to that from the statistics, from what the number of cases that we're getting at the local level, and we can see from media that what is happening out there. I think uh, it was not so long, three months, uh, we had a very serious case of Tsukhufazo, which was a very serious case uh, where a female person here he was in a Dobsonville, she was murdered while she was pregnant, and she was hanged. Mm-hmm. So it, it, and it, it's bad because now it's not only now issue of violence, it's a now becoming involving femicide and it's not only ordinary murder, it's a brutal murder which has been, and it, including children, our children where you'll find that in, I saw also in one of our sister justice centre in Limpopo and also in Ferriera also there you find that too, some of the children, two children, they were murdered and at some places in KZN, you find that children are being murdered and also the rape of minor children by some of the people who are in a society, they are very eminent person. People that you cannot even suspect that this person can co- commit such atrocities against minor children. Mm, that's you, true. Yeah, it's so serious that uh, even in court, those cases, they are coming and they are coming thick and fast. So as a result, at some stage, they are causing the backlog in our court role. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, so it's just a really big problem. I, you know, I, I like what you said there, that it's people who are among us. They live and work and you know have a good time among us. You know, It's not some guy who has horns and he has a tail somewhere 
you know, some people like you and me. Now, what has made Legal Aid um, choose now to go on this 100 days of no violence against GPV? You know, after this issue of GPV, we were invited as a Legal Aid when there were one of the court was open. It was a poison's court here in Gauteng, where our president, together with some member of cabinet, they've came when they opened the case and then the president Cyril Ramaphosa, I think it was 2018, is going to take serious this film of gender-based violence because now it's eating our society, our children and our female, they are no longer safe. Mm. And there were many uh, NGOs which were there, non-organ, non-government organization, civil society which were there, and he gave them undertaking that uh, after that opening of the court and when he gave the speech, I know that I remember he was with Minister Naledi Pando and also he was with Minister Batabile Jamini and Minister uh, of Justice at that time, Mr. Uh, Masodi. So he gave undertaking that he will formulate all government departments which are involved, which are in the justice cluster to come and form a national steering committee and in that steering committee to develop a strategic plan for gender-based violence. And with his undertaking, we found that it is Department of Justice and NPA and other non-government organization, NGO and civil society. And Legal Aid was a part of that uh, committee. And within that committee, we came with, Legal Aid was a participant, and we came with the campaign, which is 100 days campaign, where we'll find out that we'll have to educate the society, we'll have to conscientize the society, and also to tell them which government department or which places, if they are victims, or if there's a, another person who's victim that you know, a family member, where you can go and get help and service. So we are one of the participants, and we've taken that the initiative that all participants participant in that committee, they must take initiative to make this awareness, to go to public as the radio station, TV, social media, to make the country aware that there are avenues and other places where they can get help. So that's that's how we are taking this initiative and that's why we are active in this Mm. campaign. I suppose it's true that many of us, particularly in the big metros, we take it for granted that someone will know where to go if they are the victim of gender-based... We take it for granted almost, but actually what you're saying is true. Many people don't know where they can go to get assistance. You know, they want to go maybe to their uncles or their aunts, and which is okay, but they don't always know that actually you can take this to this particular court or you can ask this organization to help you. Yes, correct, because remember, people can go to... Uh, SAPS, the police, which is the first stop. People, if they are unable, when they have a, a legal aid offices nearby, they can go to legal aid offices. They will help them there. And the other uh, point it is also the they can go to the nearest social work, social development, where there are social workers, where they will be able to tell the police. And the other area, again, is our court, where there's a magistrate court, there is a division there, which is called with a, it's a family court. There will be a division of a domestic violence. 
in that area of domestic violence, you will be able to be assisted there. So most of people, they will find that they don't understand that if there's a this thing which is being committed, where to go? And the third part of it, of, of gender-based violence, it's sometimes committed by the uncle, the father, the brother, the wife. Mm-hmm. And at the end, sometimes the victim doesn't know where to go. Yeah. And will, at the end of the day, want to take advice from another family member, sometimes to protect your brother or your, your sister or whoever, mm-hmm. you will end up being misled. So yes. there are those people that they can go to and get help. They know that they should do their part there because we are taking it seriously. And one thing that you, you have already said, the president has identified it also as a, it is like pandemic. It's so serious that all government departments, they must take it serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to repeat uh, uh, what Stephen has said there, virtually every magistrate's court in the country can sit as a family court. So if you have a magistrate's court nearby, go there and find yourself some help. If you can get there, go there. Now, if you've just joined us, we're in conversation with Stephen Mufuke. He is uh, from Legal Aid, and we're discussing the National Strategic Plan on Gender-Based Violence that they've recently embarked on. It's a plan that seeks to educate and sensitize people to what is going on in this country and to provide a few answers for us. Now, can you break down for us what exactly the National Strategic Plan is so far? What are you aiming to achieve? You know, in this uh, National Strategic Plan, it's a committee which involves Department of Justice, NPA, Legal Aid South Africa, Civil Society, NGO. What we are aiming to achieve with this strategic plan, we are aiming to coordinate all the departments which are relevant, which have alluded to above before, like magistrate courts, the SAPS, Legal Aid South Africa, social development and all so that we make the people aware and to coordinate all those departments and to participate and come with a, a strategy as to how are we going to deal with this thing and to synchronize them as a one stop where you find that if you stop at this place, you know that you will get this type of services and they know where they will refer to. And again, also to identify the bottlenecks where there are blockages in the system. How can we deal with this faster, efficiently, and also to be sensitive to the victims of crime, those people who have been affected by the violent crime of uh, assault, rape, or uh, the family of the victim. So that's what we wanted to do, and what that is our strategy, and those departments, all of them, where I want to achieve all those things which I've talked mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Just... Before we move on, there are a lot of departments which are going to be involved in this program. Have you also included the Department of Health? Because very often they are the people who document the, you know, the actual incident. They document the injuries, the document. Are they included in this as well? Um, Yes. Yes, Department of Health is involved, particularly on those issues of documentation, the injuries, reporting back and when collecting our stats. And also Department of Health, it's also involved in getting some kit which we are using, especially the laboratory also, assisting also the SAPS laboratory. Because remember, at one stage, our SAPS, they have a backlog. Mm-hmm. And also at the end of the day, 
they can take other departments which can assist. And you find that, especially in the case of, of minor children, rape of an adult, we'll need some evidence, which is forensic evidence. Mm-hmm. So that's where we'll find that, that some of the forensic evidence, we will need the doctors, we will need the sisters from there, who will, they will receive the patient, they will assess the patient, they will make a report. After giving out the report, when the matter, after a, a successful investigation and the matter is due for prosecution, then we'll need the evidence of somebody who has been, who assessed the victim. Mm. In this case, we find that some, most of the time, is the doctors or for them, forensic sisters, forensic nurses, who have done the course who normally, because previously we used to say in court, they were accepting the evidence of the doctors only. Only, yes. But I see. Currently now there are those sisters who have done a certain course in forensic who qualify. Their qualification allows them to come to court and give evidence to that effect in the cases of, of sexual offenses and rape and indecent or all those where the, the child or an adult, there was a, a sexual crime. Mm, 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 mm. Right. No, it sounds like it's a very well-intentioned plan and um, let's see let's hope it's going to be executed very well because it could make a big difference to people's lives so in the implementation sometimes there can be hiccups and so on because we have a hundred day campaign which is it's a long period of time it's just over three months that we're going to be on this campaign does legal aid intend this to be a once-off campaign or is it something that we're going to see happening regularly or maybe a shorter period you know is it something that's just gonna happen once and then we leave it or how's it gonna work you know for for now when the committee meet the national the, the steering committee it was decided to start to this hundred days it will be a program and a campaign that is going to be evaluated every time and then after a hundred days within uh, and during the interval of the month there will be some evaluation and see as to whether do we still need to proceed with this campaign as it is or do we still need to make some changes on it. For now, I can say it is still subject to the evaluation after this 100 days campaign. You see issue of uh, violence and the gender-based violence and an issue which involves many departments. I think 100 days in most cases, it's, it's a very shorter period. Because even in court, to finalize a case, it's not that easy to finalize a case within 100 days. Remember, where there's a other department, a forensic evidence and other things, there's a time that is required to do all those things. But also to take the message out there to the public. Remember, South Africa, we are more than 58 million, and our literacy level differ, and we have 11 languages. So we need to take out there to the public. So I can see now, it's not something that we can just achieve within the days. We will need to come back to it. But as we've agreed, that we'll evaluate it and see after 100 days, how much did we achieve in terms of this campaign? Because it's a very broader campaign. It involves many things. It's also a very ambitious ambitious campaign. Mm, It is. Now, I hear you when you talk about the different departments because they're very important whether it's education you know or it is the health department or the justice department but i think we must also be honest and say 
The problem is 50% of the population is a problem because it's 50% of the population mainly who are victimizing 50% of the population. So men are actually really are the problem for the most part, you know. Uh, you do have incidents where you have some gender-based violence and the men are victims. Yes, that does happen. But for the most part, it's men. Will the campaign also tackle the issue of men, perhaps, and how we view ourselves in South Africa to say, but guys, is this what we are? Yes, that, that thing it was tasked that there must be some initiative. Look, I will accept from onset previously the campaign, it was focusing mostly on the, the female take a girl child to this, try to uh, educate a girl child. But there are initiatives which are coming now that uh, we must now start to concentrate on a boy child. And also because as early as possible, we start to establish a culture of respect to each other, a culture of equal equality between genders, whether a male or female, a gay, a lesbian, where people they will accept each other and accepting the background and also starting to to understand and that, that because we are a diverse society with different background different cultures remember where is also the issue of south africa we are peri urban and very rural and culture still dominate and that a man from a rural area and a man from a Gauteng, depending on the culture of different people that's where we still need to tackle it. It was discussed on that on that level, and we must start to initiate. There was an issue of a men's conference at one stage where it was on social media as a joke. But now that the Houghton province, our premier, and Eburulene, last year they we started to try to do this thing as practical as real. And those initiatives, most of the department, and this, we want to drive that thing that we want to ask for a man to come into the picture and also to help in this. And where there's a problem to acknowledge, where there's another man to condemn all these things. But we need a lot of education to understand each other. And there's a thin line between an offense and a culture. You see, some people, they do things in the name of culture that in terms of our tradition and custom, this is how we do things. Whereas if you look it deeper legally, you find that those people, they are transgressing the law. Because now, like issue of Ukutwala custom, constitutional court has to come in and try to clarify to the society that actually the custom, it's one of the custom, if you don't do it properly, you are committing abduction, you are committing rape, you are committing sexual offenses. Yes, it is a culture. Yes, we know it. Some people, they were brought up against, but now we are, we are living in a democratic space. We are living in a democratic country, which is constitution, it's supreme. And a constitution, it's talk about equality. Whether you are male, you are a female, you have a different sexual orientation. But the equality is there. We are equal before the law. So when you do everything cultural, you must also take into consideration and a cognizance that this person has a constitutional right, which he will have to exercise freely in an open and democratic society. On this show, we, we touched, we spent a lot of time last month. In fact, no, yes, last month on that topic. 
And yes, there's a fine line often between our cultures and the law, you know. But also having said that, some people do things in the name of culture which aren't really that cultural. They abuse culture to get their own ways sometimes. But I think one of the big things that we have in South Africa is that I think we, we should acknowledge that toxic masculinity, sexism, all of these problems that we have, you're not born with them, you learn them. You know, they're, they're taught to you through the place where you live. And so they can be untaught as well over time. You know, you don't have to stick with whatever it was that you grew up with and accept that to be the way things should be in the future simply because they were that way in the past. Well, if you've just joined us, we're in conversation with Stephen Fugain of Legal Aid South Africa. It's no longer the Legal Aid Board, Legal Aid South Africa. And we're discussing the National Strategic Plan on Gender-Based Violence that they've recently embarked on. It's a fascinating conversation touching on quite a few aspects of our law and our society. We'll be back soon. Law Focus on Volvo 88.1. Point of information. Welcome back to Law Focus. And if you've just joined us, we're in conversation with Stephen Fouquet. Uh, and he's from Legal Aid. We're discussing the National Strategic Plan on Gender-Based Violence. And that's what they are now going to embark on. And it's quite a big effort. It involves many different departments. It seems as though it's an extremely well-intentioned and well-thought-out idea involving educating people and giving them access to resources. So what are the real challenges that you've come up with when handling gender-based violence issues? You know, in my experience, there are a lot of challenges. One, it's an issue of the way it is being handled. Hence, there was this steering committee. It was fragmented in such a way that this department is doing the other thing, the other department is doing the other thing. So the department, they don't talk to each other. Mm. I'll make an example. We'll find out that the SAPS, they are implementing, doing it in a particular way. When you arrive to court, there's another way. Legal aid is handling it in this way. Social services is handling it in this way. You see, so it, it was very fragmented. That is why, hence now, there are challenges which have been identified, but the way we identify them, we came for what are going to be the solution. One of the challenges that we I might also said about it was also of a, when opening the cases at the police station, there were some of the challenges, but I see that now, SAPS now, there are some individuals who have already been trained and most of the police officers, they've been sensitized to how to deal with them. And the other challenge is the issue of you deal with this victim like any other victim of a robbery or a victim of assault or a victim of malicious damage to property. Unaware that this victim, there are a particular species of victims which need a special, a specialized skills to deal with them. And has now introduced that the, the victim and then the victim support program, which has to involve started at when they open a case. That's why you find that at the certain SAPS police station, there are also social workers involved. And then in court, again, there's a victim support program. And NPA, there's also, they've already introduced also victim support program. It was one of the things where, which makes many people who have been affected by gender-based violence, they don't want to come forward because of the treatment that they are going to receive. 
and also the training also which department of health it is also have to take also some of the people those things it's put shame on them so they they want when you talk to them you become very sensitive to them and also it also involves some certain diseases where you find that some people they can you test them and then you find that they are infected with hiv and all those sort of things so all those programs have been taken into cognizance they were the challenges and also there were also the challenges of the type of courts when you the the, the victim appear as a witnesses you'll find that they will have to face the perpetrators in court because we don't have enough sexual offenses court but uh, i can see now our minister of justice together with the president which uh, the undertaking has made that they are rolling out some sexual offenses court to come yes they need budget it's a lot of money because a sexual offenses court is a specialized court it's very expensive the equipment which are used there they are also very expensive they are cctv there is a certain communication way where the victim if he feels uncomfortable you can apply in terms of criminal procedure act for a victim to give evidence remotely maybe in a certain room where he will get the support and there were also the challenges of forensic evidence where you find that most of the cases are end up being struck or fraud removed from the road for further investigation or others are withdrawn because we find that dna kits test kits and also for minor children pediatric uh, test kits for where there are rape cases you'll find that the saps at one stage there were some i think it was on radio tv all over media that uh, they But were they not identified those kids so those are where the challenges which have been identified by this committee that those are serious challenges and at the end of the day the victims if justice is not done for him tomorrow he'll be on the street and meeting perpetrator walking in the street and that on its own even if without perpetrator doing anything by mere fact seeing this person after two years it's it's victim double victimization again it's it's a, it's a, it's a very difficult reality i think because if the cases are not dealt with like you say on the one hand the victim does feel let down abandoned uh, disappointed in the system and it discourages other people from and people will then call her a liar and it discourages mm-hmm. other people from reporting but mm-hmm. on the other hand what it does is it makes the perpetrator feel as though they can act with impunity and someone who's watching that says but if this guy can do what he did and there was no consequences why can't i do that at my house that's it and then there's another challenge that you find at court level it's an issue of a challenge of where it's a gender based violence within the family structure you find a serious problem well when when the, the, the this matter started there's a statement everything is there but after the investigation and the process as well you find that one of the relative and within the relative when you go to the docket there's a withdrawal statement we know that in terms of the directive from the national director of public prosecution those cases you can withdraw them in court you must ask for permission from national director most of the time they really she refused to withdraw them now there's a withdrawal statement now you'll find that the challenge is now the person who make a statement when he comes the family already they have talked him that you must go there and say one two three 
this matter. Remember, forgetting that the very same victim, which is also a family member, maybe a cousin, uncle relationship, grandfather to grandchild relationship, and that, that becomes difficult now. And now you will find that now in court, the case is becoming more difficult. The, the NPA at the end of the day has to make application to declare a witness, a hostile witness. And which is not which is not a good thing for, for state that they must make an application to the to the court that I need to declare the witness a hostile witness starting to cross examine his witness because at the end of the day when the the, 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 the presiding officer evaluate the evidence, the weight of evidence is going to attach to that. It, it is going to be difficult to come with a conviction. So there are those elderly people in the family who still feel that we can discuss in the house as a family, we can just deal with it and leave it that it is. Forgetting that what it is doing to the uh, uh, a victim, it's a devastating to her if she feels that, but my uncle did this to me and there was nothing happened. Actually, the case was withdrawn. When you see a daughter being at somebody who drink alcohol a lot to deal with the stress, or somebody who goes during the night, then you say, I don't understand why does she behave in this particular way. But you find that she has a very deep-seated uh, anger and unresolved issue in herself, which needs psychological, and you understand. Mm-hmm. It's an extremely damaging, uh, vicious circle. Now, I know from legal aid, you're part of the judiciary, you know, part of part of our court system, etc. I just want to perhaps move to another important part of our court system quickly who which is our magistrates now most of our listeners will understand that the very many of our cases are dealt with by the district and regional courts fewer are dealt with by the high courts what is the buy-in from regional and districts magistrates in this hundred days uh, and this national strategic plan are you getting some positive responses are you getting input and feedback from them about what they expect to see, uh, um, are they also eager? Yes, definitely. We are seeing a lot of it. You know, from the part of the magistrates, they are cooperating with us. And I know from this year only, already they have identified some courts to be a sexual offenses court, which they've already put some everything, equipment, to deal with gender-based violence, to deal with rape, sexual offenses, rape, and also where the victim is afraid, he has all been assaulted a lot, they are there. And again, the, the judiciary also, they understand that, and when there's a, those type of cases, they take a little bit more to interrogate where there are some problems or what they intervene, and there is no discipline of, you know, Previously, it was easy to say that no evidence has been done, investigation is insufficient, work, and it was easy to say the matter removed from the road, struck from the road. They are giving prosecution more time to get this house in order. And also there are campaigns also. And to also there are waiting areas which have been identified by the NPA for their witnesses also where they are, can go to wait there, this type of victim. And during the evidence, they can go there. And there is, when they uh, interview them and also consult with those witnesses, 
most of the time they send their prosecution for training and specialized prosecutors they are dealing with those cases in most of their buying is a lot i think most of the department they are working and when coming to domestic domestic uh, violence court and domestic court where they are dealing with protection order and everything they are also assisting them and they are the clerks which are there which have if they don't have an attorney or they don't have they have a challenge with to interpret certain forms because there are forms which have already been prepared they can help the victim to complete those forms and take them to the magistrate and magistrate can give them the, the interdict which has a return date as to giving the opportunity to the perpetrator to give reasons as to why this protection order interdict cannot be made final if you've just joined us we're in conversation with Stephen Fouquet from Legal Aid, and we're discussing the National Strategic Plan on Gender-Based Violence. It's a plan that uh, Legal Aid has embarked on, and it's a serious one where they are uh, spreading the word about gender-based violence, but not just about gender-based violence and the effect that it has, but what you can do about it from a legal point of view. So where you can find assistance, how to get about getting that assistance, and what the consequences can be once you do get that assistance. Something like a protection order, a criminal prosecution, we've touched on those things. Keep listening and uh, I think we're going to get a little bit more. Now, do you think that it's really important for us, not only as legal professionals or people interested in the legal profession, but even outside of that, to continue discussing gender-based violence? It's very important to help because remember our victim, they are the more one, they are most vulnerable part of our society, which are minor children. Two, they are women, which they are most vulnerable. Most of them they are unemployed, and most of them they will find that at the rural area they are not literate. So those type of people. They need a lot of help and they need to be informed and they need to be told and even to show them as to how to deal with this type of them. And what makes also to be more important, it also includes, it is this type of uh, uh, violence, it's, it's also involved femicide, where the life of people dies. And remember, in terms of our constitution, the, 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 the interest of our minor children are paramount. So when we deal with all the departments, they must try to raise the bar when they deal with our children because the future of the society is in our children. And what is most important, we must come with a, a, a value system that will show to our children that uh, there's a difference between abusive and uh, action and also culture, where the children, they can be responsible, respect each other, and accept diversity and the most important thing which also which i did not highlight which i want to put also to show this thing it's so important there are bills which are also before parliament and there are legislations like amendment to our uh, domestic violence act which is need to include also sexual harassment in order to give it a broader perspective our sexual offenses act also which also to try to identify the perpetrators of this. Remember, there's a register of people 
where if they are found guilty of this uh, rape or uh, gender-based violence or what, the magistrate, you must inform the magistrate that they must put their name in the national register. But that national register was not open to the public. So the Minister of Justice and Justice Cluster, they've made some amendment and the bill to put the bill to president that the public to have access. If I have a church or if I have a, 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 a school or if I want a person to work for me as a domestic worker or what, or a garden board or somebody who's going to do a garden, you can check the national register and see whether this person is a person and not having a problem. And also there are also in terms of bail, because remember the magistrate court is a creature of a statute. So they cannot do anything outside the legislation. So the legislation needs to be changed from time to time so that they can empower the magistrate. So they are amending our bail act. So when they apply for bail, these people who which are facing cases which are involved gender-based violence, it will be difficult for them to get a bail. Remember, in, in terms of our bail, there are schedule of offenses, and people can apply bail, schedule five, where you have to show interest of justice, and the difficult one is the exceptional circumstances where in a case of a serious uh, murder, premeditated murder. So they want to include some of the gender-based violence where if you appear before the magistrate or second offender, third offender, it is not going to be easy for you to get bail. So those legislation, they are fast-tracking them. So soon, once they are bailed now, once they are put in the table of president and the president signed them, it will be an act of parliament. And at the end of the day now, they will be implemented by the court. So it's so serious that they, 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 the government is still seeing this thing as agent. Mm-hmm. Now, tell us again, how do people want, who need to get hold of you or um, people who are victims of gender-based violence or know of someone who's a victim of gender-based violence, how do they access your services or services in general to, to assist them? Yes, like, in court, they... they, they, they can go to, 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 to court, but they can start at the police station, then go to police station, any nearest police station, they are dealing with gender-based violence. Legal Aid South Africa, they can come here for, for assistance. All people who want assistance from Legal Aid South Africa, they can phone. It's a 0800-110-110. I repeat the, the numbers. 0800-110-110. When they call that, we have uh, people who are working at our call center who are also qualified paralegal and they have assistant of professional attorneys. They will take your call, they will screen, and then they will refer you to appropriate uh, person who can refer your matter to your nearest and local magistrate where you can come and they can refer to the relevant department. Uh, those numbers they are available and they are between the from eight o'clock up until uh, in the evening uh, up until five o'clock in the afternoon mm-hmm. that's a very important one is zero eight sixty double one zero double one zero is that correct yes yes the o eight hundred o eight hundred o eight hundred double one zero double one zero double one zero 
Now that was Stephen Fukeng, and he's from Legal Aid, the head office in Kriasdorp. And he was sharing the National Strategic Plan on Gender-Based Violence with us. Legal Aid has embarked on this plan because of the pandemic that has been sweeping this nation. We have now been dealing with COVID. And the steps that we took as a country to combat COVID were drastic. They were big. We recognized the threat immediately. And we took decisive action. Here we have a pandemic which has been brewing for a long time. Perhaps all of our lives it's been brewing. And perhaps now is the time more than ever that we need to take drastic action. As drastic perhaps as we had to take with COVID. It won't be the same type of solution. But the attitude towards the pandemic should be similar. The seriousness of the pandemic should be just as serious. Because COVID cost many lives, but femicide costs so many lives in a year. How many do we lose in one year? Our plans should be as serious as that. Recognize that we have so many deaths, so many lives who are affected by gender-based violence and by femicide. In this country, a woman is more likely to be killed by her most intimate partner than by anybody else. Anybody else. A woman who's the victim of murder, chances are was killed by someone she was in a relationship with or is in a relationship with. And that's a frightening thought. How many of those victims do we have in a year? It runs into the thousands. The plan must be now. We must implement it now. We can't carry on like this. What are we raising? Now, thank you, Stephen, for sharing and providing your insights with our listeners. And we hope that you, the listener, have learned something from our conversation today. Especially those of you who are seeking help and are unable to speak up. Or if you know of somebody who is seeking help and is unable to speak up. Many of you won't know that many of our legislation, particularly our harassment and domestic violence um, um, courts, will allow for you to make an application on behalf of somebody else who is unable to do so. So you can assist somebody in getting a domestic violence application. Don't be shy. Don't be nervous. Do it. You might save somebody's life. Thank you and have a good night. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. That's it from us tonight. We hope you enjoyed the show and that you got informed by our guest, Stephen Fouquet, and the information he shared with us today. Thank you once again, Stephen, for gracing us with your presence. To our producer, Rafilia Mekwa, our technical producer, Utwane Sarame, thank you for putting the show for, together for us. And from myself, Tapamab, it's always a pleasure being with you every Tuesday night. I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you for tuning in, and let's meet again next week, same time, same place. Good night. Lawful Focus on 88.1 Point of Information. Law Focus Podcast.